Welcome to Be Customer-Led, where we'll explore how leading experts in customer and employee experience are navigating organizations through their own journey to be customer-led and the actions and behaviors employees and businesses exhibit to get there. And now, your host, Bill Stagos. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Be Customer-Led. Super special guest for you all this, this week. Carrie Goyette is founder and president of Aperio Consulting Group. Now, Aperio works with a lot of organizations, whether that's analytics and whether it's on corporate, they're a corporate consulting firm, but they work a lot on employee experience, analyzing teams, and how to build high-performing teams. We're going to get into the, all that in more detail. Carrie, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on. Thanks so much for having me, Bill. I'm excited. The stuff that we're talking about today, folks, is so topical. So strap in, put your seatbelts on, get your pen and paper out. You're going to be taking notes. This is going to be a great, great conversation. So, Carrie, we always ask every guest to start off just a little bit of background and context. Just share your journey and feel free, obviously, to go back as far as you would like. But you have this outside of running your business for over 10 years. You also have a really interesting background. So, yeah, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so it's it's interesting as you kind of look back at, and I'm sure a lot of people could say the same thing, like look at our journey and you kind of realize, wow, how did I end up here? But yeah, so my postgraduate studies, so psychometrics, I'm a certified forensic interviewer and I just am passionate about studying human behavior and became even more passionate about studying human behavior in the workplace. And so I love business. I love to see systems and kind of just analyze systems and how they work and what better place to do that than the, the workforce. And so I just became yeah. just passionate about it. And it's just, it's kind of, I know everybody can say like, yeah, this, we are going through hard times and I don't want to minimize that. But from a behavioral scientist, I can say I am rolling up my sleeves and I, I just am so excited because there's a lot going on. Yeah. There's a lot that's yeah coming to play. And, and it's just a great study in human behavior. So let's start there and just talk a little bit about Aperio because some of our listeners may not be familiar with the company and the work that you're doing. So just what do, what do typical engagements look like? How do you work with clients? Let's just start there maybe. Yeah. So I work with a lot of leadership teams and, and I would say what we do really well, I think, you know, some of it's the background and in, forensic interviewing. What we love to do is go in and diagnose issues so it can be problems or it can be just, hey, he, here's what we're trying to achieve. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're kind of struggling trying to hit these great goals. And so we step back and really analyze it from a, from a human behavior standpoint. There's lots of stuff out there on tools and, and whatnot. And what I've found over the years in looking at human behavior is we often look at human behavior from like from an isolated lens, like, like, like humans are in a vacuum. And so <laughs> when you talk about potential, like, oh, I have these great strengths. Yeah, but those great strengths can only be leveraged and only be seen in the right environment. And so yeah. the environment has such an incredible impact. And so depending on what's going on in your organization, who else is on your team and how are the personalities working working together, that it's just not as simple as saying like, okay, we need to hire this person that has these great strengths. <laughs> yeah, that may be true, but there are yeah. a lot of other factors. And so that's what where I really like to dig in. And, and when you do that, I will say, 
my clients why my firm kind of started 10 years ago and thought, I don't know, you know, this is starting a business is way harder than I thought. Um, and I just thought, gosh, where is this going to go? And my business got built by referral. And so I, I say that because that means a lot to me because that means yeah. we do good work and we get good results. And so, and I think what my leaders are realizing is that when you really focus on engineering teams and getting people coordinated and working well together, mm. you can outperform any other team with higher IQ and more experience. And so, right. so there is tremendous business value to do this. So I, I love that. And, and the work that you're doing, you're bringing obviously a lot of analytics, analytical capabilities in, into the mix. I'm curious just kind of how Perio has evolved over the last 10 years or so. How has analytics technology shaped the work that you're doing with companies or even how organizations themselves are applying the, these capabilities in a way to improve cultures, teams, et cetera? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I think I'll go back a little further. I was raised by an engineer. So math and science was just crammed down my- Love that. Uh, all of my family, they're all engineers. So they were so disappointed when I wanted, wanted to study the brain. But I think that objective approach, really looking at validated research is mm. just part of my DNA. Mm. And so that's really, I, I would say like a core value of our firm is let's rely on empirical validated evidence, data, how can we use this to support what we're doing? And when we do that, and human, humans are hard. We didn't study as leaders or business owners. We didn't necessarily study how to, <laughs> how to lead human beings. And so it is challenging, but when you, when you base it on theory and, and validated research, I will mm -hmm. tell you the results are very consistently positive and predictable. And so that's what we do, but, but academic and business don't talk very well. So yeah. what we do is we gather kind of all of that, all of the academic research, and then we translate it to the business world and something that's practical, pragmatic and actionable. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what, like where my history has been. And, and so I saw this trend coming and, and a lot of people are like, gosh, you you do, you wrote a book on emotional intelligence. You have a yeah. TED talk on motivation. Like, AI, like what? <laughs> but it actually fits perfectly because AI is just kind of new math, if you will. I, I think we build it up to something really dramatic and it is awesome mm. and very powerful, yeah. but it's just an, it's another objective measurement tool that is at our disposal to use. Mm -hmm. And so when I've worked with leaders, whether it was Lean or Six Sigma in the eighties, we all, we all like get so excited and gravitate towards something. <laughs> But then it's like, oh, shoot, human beings are in law, involved. Yep. So now we need to have Lean and Six Sigma leadership training. And it's like, okay, here we go. Like I saw this trend, like here we go with AI and data. Like yep. everybody's so excited about it. And it's going to be like the crystal ball. No, it's not. Humans are involved. It's going to be really messy. So so three yeah. years ago, we we dug into AI because we wanted to figure out, we wanted to figure out this synergy. I had a hypothesis and that hypothesis turned out to be true, but I will be honest when I went into it, I thought, okay, I have no idea. And how that is as an entrepreneur, you kind of like, yeah. all right, I'm going all in, but I have no idea how this is going to turn out. And, and let me also say, I'll just be completely authentic. I knew zero about AI. <laughs> so you well, want to talk okay. about like, yeah, talk about bringing out all my vulnerabilities. But we dug into it because I had this hypothesis with seeing other trends that, okay, humans are involved. And so that's where the problem is going to be. And so sure enough, you look at AI initiatives, 90% of AI initiatives fail. It's due to the human-machine interaction. And so my, our quest has been 
this is great technology that of course can be used for bad or used for good, but how can we figure out how to partner to really help the human and also help the organization in a way that's beneficial to both? And I, I think it's possible. And I think we've demonstrated that. I think it's messy. And <laughs> I think a lot of people are trying to engage with it, which I think is a good yeah. thing, but it's going to be messy for a while. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, part of it, I feel like is such a change management eff- effort as well, mm-hmm. or that is such a big part of it, getting people to understand, not be afraid of it, mm-hmm. ask the right questions, right. think about it in, in the right with the right use cases, etc. When you think about measuring, whether it's strengths or weaknesses around cultures, around teams, mm-hmm. high performing, low performing, how does Aperio in, in your organization, how do you approach that measurement? And then how does AI play a role in that and identifying opportunities? Yeah. So I'll first start off with a little bit of the history because I think context here matters. Um, yeah. A lot of the KPIs today are born out of the you know industrial era. So when we were when we had assembly lines and and so it's easy like how many <laughs> widgets exactly did we right. get through and it's easy to it's easy to measure performance. The problem now is we're in the knowledge era and. I have leaders all the time, like, how do I know my employees are working? They're virtual. Like, <laughs> how do I know? Like, and and then, but but here's the thing I will bring up that nobody is talking about, Bill. Do you, one of the reasons why employees these days are so stressed out and burnt out, because they don't know what drives success. So they are like, like, okay, I don't know what the performance metrics are necessarily. So I'm going to do 25 million things. And at the end of the day, they don't even feel like they're really adding value. And how demotivating to the human spirit yeah. is that? So that's a part of the conversation I'm really passionate about because, yeah, we're, we don't have the right metrics. And we know we have all this data, but most of my clients are like, we have all this data. We don't know what to do with it. And our data scientists don't know how to speak English that the, <laughs> that the executives can understand. And the executives don't know how to speak data science language. Yeah, so yeah. there's just all of these kind of things that are that are, that are going on that are that are really kind of causing some of this environment. And I, again, that's where I think if we take a behavioral science approach and say, what, not what can we get from the data, but what does a human need to know? What does the leader mm-hmm. need to know to make a better decision? And how does that need to be served up to the leader? And then with employees, like we need to better, we have this data, we have capabilities. How can we better start to tell them like, here's truly what drives performance and let's cut through the chaos. Let's get rid of all these things. And if you can focus on these three things, this is where you're going to drive the most value. You're, this is where you're going to have the biggest impact. And now all of a sudden they feel like, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do. They have more clarity because back in the industrial revolution, it was very clear. I got to get this many widgets through. Now it's less clear. And so that our brains hate uncertainty. So we can Mm -hmm. provide some clarity for them. And now they can really focus on what matters and they can see how it's driving value to the company. And that that's what that's what we ultimately want to do. We want to feel like our work matters. And when we feel like it doesn't matter, then all of a sudden it's like, well, why am I doing this? That's right. And everyone's resigning and largely do because no one knows what what's what success looks like anymore, right? Do you have any favorite? I mean, every company can be different. Let's caveat by that right first. But like, mm-hmm. and I agree with you, we're still, or many organizations, I should say, I shouldn't just blanket, but many organizations are still using 50-year-old metrics to manage their organization. Even in past lives, I've heard of let the, how and CEOs saying like, how can we make our employees more productive? I'm like, who cares if I produce 100 widgets? If our customers want to buy one of them, 
I've wasted 99% of my time, right? Exactly. So how do we think about efficacy and what does that mean, et cetera? Like, so how are, are there measures or are there different ways to be thinking about this counsel that you can provide to, to listeners and how they might be able to approach similar problems? Yeah, so this is this is what we have done. So I'll just kind of walk you through and share yeah. our approach and and how it's worked for clients. But number one, the first step is is exploratory. Most of my organizations have raw, messy data. <laughs> Most, of um, and so right. So and it's and it's, and it's owned by different people too, right? It's not. Oh just yeah, thing, right? exactly. Yeah. I mean, we literally have had a conversation the other day, and it was like, no, we don't have that data, and we just asked the question three different ways, and finally somebody goes, oh well, we do, but it's over here in this system. It's like, okay, <laughs> the data exists. It's just yeah. over here. First of all, I would just say every client too comes in with like, I'm so embarrassed. Our data is a mess. Number one, just don't every, everybody says that. So if you're feeling that, that that's the norm, that's okay. But the first step is exploratory, meaning that we have to raw, messy data has a lot of gold nuggets in it, but it requires careful processing. And so our firm, we use um, a data mining approach and machine learning. And so what we do is we take this messy data Um, Like, let's say we're looking for one client, we looked at sales. So Mm -hmm. we took all of their messy data from their CRM. And so our algorithm is able to to really scan that data set and, and isolate those key variables that are driving that performance. So sales is easy because we have a good performance metric revenue, or if we're looking at retention. And so this is where I will say technology can be our friend because what AI can do that helps humans is that it can see patterns and it can work with tons and tons of data. So we just tell clients, give us all your data Um, and it's messy and it's unruly, but then the algorithm just cuts through that and, and it will say, okay, so for sales, for you, for this organization, here's what really matters. And so Mm -hmm. now we can get really focused. And so for this organization, for the VP of sales, it was groundbreaking because I mean, this sounds like, (laughs) like something like the sales, the VP of sales should have known, but, but the data was able to identify this little hidden pattern of Mm -hmm. customers that they had in year one, they had a retention issues with customers that had bought from them once. And so it was a $22 million opportunity that nobody was focused on. And it highlighted to the VP and uh, the sales VP. And so it was like, oh, my gosh, like, oh, my gosh. Uh, (laughs) And so it it can pull out little nuggets for you. And it does it second. I mean, that's the beauty of it. It does it in seconds. And so that's where I think that AI can be your friend. It it combs through lots of data. It sees all these weird. It can look at at data in all different ways. And then it pulls out what's important. And then more importantly, it it can also get rid of, what doesn't matter now, because we're, we focus on behavioral science on the, for this particular client, we had assessments. And so we were able to look mm-hmm. at the sales people and look at their data, their assessment data. And we found that there was one critical factor that led to success, literally correlated to revenue in a one-to-one relationship. And it was an optimal level of perseverance, not too high. Interestingly, it looks at it on a spectrum. So not too high because that yeah. salesperson rigid, not too low, or they wouldn't follow through enough. But then the data from that, from that, we can say, okay, so what does perseverance mean? The data can spit back and tell you, here's what perseverance means. They're staying on calls 22% longer. Mm -hmm. So it's not just perseverance, which is something very 
conceptual. And that's what I've struggled with up until AI is like, well, it's perseverance. <laughs> and then they'll be like, well, what, how do I train that? Now it's like, yeah. oh, now we can, now we can figure out how to train it. So not only does it help in identifying what truly matters, but it reveals hidden risk factors or it mm -hmm. reveals opportunities that you didn't realize. And more importantly, it cuts through the chaos and the noise. And I will just say one other important side benefit that people don't realize, everybody's trying to collect data, but nobody knows what to do with it, or they're not really good at figuring out what to do with it. It's expensive yeah. to collect a lot of data and it's expensive to keep. And so the benefit of doing this is you see what data do you need and what data doesn't matter. Let's just stop, yeah. like, let's yeah. get rid of it. Let's stop collecting yeah. it. Yeah. And so for us, like, it's just a great way to, it, it just it just checks the box of so many things. Now, again, it took us, we've been working on this problem for three years. This was not an easy problem to solve, but yeah. it can be solved. At a, at a prior company I worked for, we were a Microsoft shop. So we had workplace analytics. And mm -hmm. one of the things that we were looking at was our hypothesis was certain behaviors around customers led to better experiences for that customer, which obviously would lead to higher revenues, et cetera. And Microsoft Workplace Analytics basically tracks the digital exhaust on hundreds of different metrics. You're right. probably familiar with that, right? You know, right down to are people pinging on Teams while they're, while they're on a call as well, right? So really interesting stuff. A lot of organizations don't have access to that richness of data. If Where do you start? Like if, if you're like, mm -hmm. I don't even know if I have anything that's useful, like mm -hmm. how can you start small in this space? Yeah, I, I think number one, just you can hire people on Upwork. I, I would take what data you have and and have somebody analyze it and say, okay, is there anything there? So that's that's the exploratory part. And honestly, that part isn't really that hard for, for a data scientist. So that's not a difficult problem to solve. Send your data out, have them spit out an analysis. The second step that we've built that's predictive is creating an algorithm so that we can now predict. So mm -hmm. it can now notify ahead of time, like, hey, VP of sales, we see a dip in this. You need to, <laughs> you need yeah. to be on this. And he, he, here's like what it's seeing. So that now the VP can go like, oh, great. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I know what that means. Like, they've got the subject matter expertise, they can go deal with it. That step is is something only right now that I know of that we have built. And that's mm -hmm. that's the three, but but that's the easy part. But I would say first step is the, the exploratory part. Let's just get your data analyzed, see what yeah. you have, ask that data scientist, hey, is are we collecting based on what 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 you see? Are we collecting the right data? Should we you know be collecting other data? And it's messy and but it's not, it's just it's messy. And I would say that's, that's the hardest part. It's yeah. messy, but you can do it and just send it out to a professional yeah. to do. Yeah. And that's it takes time. Right? Yeah. It takes time. Yeah. And it takes time. I remember when I put uh, a project plan in front of my direct leader at this company, it was like a year out before we would even start to identify mm -hmm. anything meaningful. And they were like, we need to do this like in three months. It's like, not going to happen. It doesn't work that yeah. way. Right. But uh, let, let, let's talk a little bit about like, you're doing all this work globally. And I want to bring it back to your point around employees not being able to understand what a success look like and they're doing a million different things as a result trying to figure out kind of like what's going to stick against the wall is i mean that clearly is leading to people to look elsewhere pick up the phone talk to a recruiter etc like are you seeing other things that are shaping sort of the great resignation like what else are you kind of i'm just curious to hear your perspective given you work with so many clients what else are you seeing kind of shape the shape the kind of environment around us right now? 
Yeah. Well, sometimes to complex problems, I think we like to throw simple answers at them. But I, I would so I would say we've been monitoring this trend for years. And so I'm honestly not surprised by it just because we look at multiple factors going into it. So it's not just COVID. COVID accelerated what was already in motion. Yes, it added some punch to it. And so, yes, sure. it's not just about millennials and Gen Z. Um, do they have some kind of interesting traits about them. Yeah. How we grow up, our context, what happens in, in our sure. environment matters, but no, it's, and it's also not the technology. It's not school. It's all of that and, and more. And so it's just, there, there, it's kind of like a, well, a perfect storm. You could call it a storm in a negative sense, but it's just, it's just a lot of these factors that are playing a part of that. But I've been talking about this for years because the birth rate rent went down after the industrial revolution. Mm -hmm. It went down simply because people realized kids were economic liabilities. And so now we have to pay for childcare to, to go to work oh. instead of having them tend the farm and helping us. So the birth rate went down. They just became more expensive and, and harder. And, and two women started entering the workforce. So yeah. it really masked some of the, the from the workforce, it kind of masked that the birth rate had gone down because women were entering it. But now what happened with COVID, the pandemic, women left the workforce. Why? Yeah. Because they had just so many pressures of, of kids and school and, yeah. and and other factors that they left in droves. And so now it's becoming apparently obvious because males went down significantly. And so so now we're it just feels like a bigger punch, but mm -hmm. but really that that not that's not new. It's just being highlighted right now. And then on top of that, because of technology, now we have a skills gap. And so we're having to be retrained and, and technology is picking up some of the rote routine things that honestly, a lot of humans didn't like to do. So in some ways that's good, but, but there's a skills gap. And so now you've got the Gen Xers and baby boomers that are really having to step up their game on technology. And again, we've got an issue there because now kind of, we always try to like fix things that maybe require a, a fine scalpel with with you know a sledgehammer but we're now like okay we just need younger people let's hire a bunch of younger people and now we've got a lot of ageism going on and really gen xers are good like they're good managers they're hard workers it pays there was some re recent research that came out it pays to upskill them get them yeah. upskilled on technology and and so that's where we're having to do a lot of reverse mentoring, Gen Zers mentoring the Gen wow. Xers and baby boomers. So there's a skills gap there. And organizations, we just haven't always been great at training and, and upskilling. So we're having to get better at that. Immigration is at a record low. I've got yeah. one organization that they are struggling finding drivers and they're having to recruit out of Eastern Europe. I mean, we're just wow. these problems that we're having, we're having to get really creative and how to how to solve it. And then of course the boomers, which is our largest generation, is now exiting the workforce. And we yeah. knew it was coming. They kind of held on during the recession. And now it's like boom, boom, boom. They're they're exiting like crazy. And so yeah. it's multiple factors. And so I think we really have to look at that and 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 not just assume it's like, well, I think a lot of people want to bring blame the pandemic. And 
and just kind of hope when things go back to normal, like hope is not a strategy and, and no, yeah. it's not going to go back to how it was. So we need to think differently. We need to think about our cultures. Those organizations that focus on their culture pre-pandemic mm-hmm. have better retain, retention rates than those that didn't. And then two, during the pandemic, people inherently, it goes back to my point, people inherently want to feel like their work matters. Mm-hmm. And so law firms are... are <laughs> are really hitting a a real low. I mean, they're getting hit hard because we drove them hard. If you want to be a partner, you work 80 to hundred hours a week. And now people are like, why? Like (laughs) what is what I'm doing really matter? And, and so I think we have to rethink and I think there's a way. So employees now are in the driver's seat. They hold Mm -hmm. more of the power and organizations are being forced to think that way. So it's just, it's why I, I have a heart for leadership. It's why I've always worked with them. This is not an easy job and it just got mm. harder. As you think about the future of work, Carrie, how do you see the work you're doing, leveraging analytics, um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, culture overall? Like, what do you think that new normal is going to be? It feels like certainly the balance has shifted from business centric to employee or I shouldn't even say employee, more like work, workforce centric, right? Because mm-hmm. people outside of employees work at companies. What do you think that next normal might look like? If 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 that if I could even use that term. Yeah, I think we're going to get better at this. I mean, what I give humans credit, <laughs> we may be slower. I mean, think of the pandemic, we advanced 10 years in technology, like in 10 yeah. months. And so now we just kind of have to catch up. <laughs> and so I think it's going to be really bumpy for a while. I think we're going to make mistakes. And, and I know a lot of people are really concerned about people analytics. We don't want to have bias. And I absolutely agree, which is one of the reasons why we got into this space is we care deeply um, about honoring the human. And so yeah. we're going to make mistakes. But ultimately, it's kind of like when you think about our child development, when you're one and trying to walk, you fall down, you make mistakes. And I think it's going to be rough for a while. I really do. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be rough. But it's a good thing we've been working on automation because we're struggling trying to find people to get bodies in the door. And yeah. so I think everybody was fearful of it, but it kind of came at a good time because now we need help. We need help. And we want to put people in in positions where they they feel like they have purpose and meaning. I keep going back to that, but I cannot say how important that is. And I think we can use data to get, I mean, this is the great thing is I can see through all this mess that we're going someplace good. (laughs) It's just, and how long will it, how long will it take us to get there? It could be five to seven years still. And and there's still going to be some bumps and bruises as there always are, but I think we'll get further. And I, and that's just what I would say is I know AI feels hard for people. And number one, it was named poorly. So artificial (laughs) intelligence, it just feels, but if you think about it as super math, I I would just say, engage with it. It's okay that you don't know much about it. I haven't worked Mm. with one leader that's like, Oh, I know exactly what that is. They're like, I'm tired. They're in fact, they're tired of hearing about it. So I would just say, engage with it. It's going to happen. If you don't, you will get left behind because there's great data. We need it to help us make sense of the data. And so no matter what data you're collecting, there's something that I can almost guarantee. We haven't yet found a data set where there wasn't something valuable in there. And so you've got some valuable things. We just have to kind of put on our mining hats and and mine through it and and let it be messy for a little bit and then find the gold nuggets and then focus on there. Don't don't bite off more than you, you can chew, but find the gold nuggets, focus there, and then you'll just you'll just get better and better. I love always sage advice. Start small, learn, test 
repeat, yep. right? Exactly. See what works for you and your organization. You are also, Carrie, a founding authority of the Motivational Research Institute, and you look at it and help identify critical human factors to success. Can you tell the audience a little bit about the work that you're doing there as well? And why did you start up the Institute? And, and what is that doing for organizations or even maybe private citizens? Yeah, so it was kind of our ability to really focus on research. Let's have this institute institute that benefits the community, community mm. organizations, and humans. And so it's just a space where we can take on some projects that we maybe couldn't take on. And it's really about how can we leverage and, and really use research to, to better society. And so one of the big things, being a business owner and, and a woman at that, starting a business was hard. I mean, I always equate it to, I felt like I was standing on a stage naked and everybody's looking like, it's just like, there's nowhere to go. I can't blame my failures on anybody. But oh me. My gosh, and so it was, and I just kind of have a heart for innovation and we need a lot of innovation mm -hmm. in this, in this world. I think we have some pretty big problems we need to solve. And so it's not easy being an entrepreneur. And so we studied entrepreneur entrepreneurs and we partnered with an angel investment group and we wanted to dig in what, what, how important was the human factor and can we study that? And then can we use that information to better help people make better investments? Number mm -hmm. one, because we see that women and underrepresented races are not, are not getting invested in. And so mm. we wanted to study what is the human factor. And sure enough, we found that 78% of the success was due to the human factor. And so we looked at 120 different psychometric traits. Wow. We used the algorithm to really make sense of the data. And so now we're um, using it to, to, how can we better equip entrepreneurs and investors, because we have the same mission, both investors and entrepreneurs want them to succeed yeah. uh, for different reasons, but, but still. And so let's figure out a way that investors can better help them and entrepreneurs can, can understand what, what is going to hold me back. Cause we are social beings um, by nature. And when you're an entrepreneur, you kind of feel like you're on this Island by yourself. Mm -hmm. And so it, we, as humans, we're messy and we have what we, what I call derailers. It's a kind of probably the most talked about a uh, chapter in my book, but when you're put into an environment like entrepreneurship, whoo, it amplifies it. And so we have to be really careful. And so that's what we found. It was just so interesting, but that's what we found from the research. It was the derailers that, that significantly predicted their failure. Wow. So, so you have this toolkit where is it investors working with founders and coaching them on here are all the potholes so we're going to give you the road. We're going to give you sort of the street roadmap <laughs> ahead of time. Yeah. Make sure you dodge these as you're driving and you're on your journey. Exactly. And so that's what Very we've cool. been, that's what we've been building and, and working with investors on. So it's, it's been exciting and we're, we're getting, we're getting a lot of attention. I was interviewed for a documentary and on mergers and acquisitions. And so I think it's to a, a way to highlight that there's some, underrepresented groups that that have a lot of potential but mm -hmm. but they may not have the resources that other groups do and so how can we start to highlight them yeah. and 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 again when we when we start focusing on other factors than just the typical factors that investors focus on i think it starts to bring in and be more inclusive yeah. uh, to the community as a whole and then ultimately we can use this to to better better equip entrepreneurs Love that. Such important work. I appreciate you for doing that, by the way. That's really incredible work. Yeah. 
Carrie, I, this has been a really interesting conversation. We could probably talk about this for the next two hours and geek out on this because I, I personally right. I love this. I do have one question for you though. Where do you get your inspiration from? That like that now, like talking for the last 30 minutes, I'm really curious to, to hear your answer. <laughs> well, it's been a process, Bill. No, I think I've learned, I think early in my career, I thought inspiration falls down on you. Like, Mm. oh, I'm going to get this job or, oh, this is going to happen. I'm just instantly going to be inspired. And I've realized over the years, that's not how inspiration works, that I have to be intentional and it's really a full-time job. And so I am most inspired when I get to think strategically to solve Mm. a problem. And I love to dig into the research, look at the data and then find a solution that's practical and works. That That's like inherently. So it may be different mm-hmm. problems or in different use cases, but that's what creates inspiration. But here's the little flip side to that, that I've learned that there's a cost to that. And I think that that's why that it took me a long time to learn this, but we have good into, I kept the saying like, oh, I, well, yeah, I know I love doing that, but I had to do this this week. Oh, or Mm. this happened or a client asked for this. There was always a reason. I finally stepped back and took a hard look at it and realized if I'm really honest, there's a cost to creating space for inspiration. Yeah. And so that means I have to turn off my slack. I now (laughs) have a practice where I take one day off a month and it's my, it's my inspiration day. And I go away, I'm off the grid. Nobody can talk to me. And I think, But I had to get over that. And I tell people, do you have a need to be liked? Do you have a need to want to impress others? Or do you have a need to prove yourself? And that's what's going to keep you from Mm. designing inspiration into your life. Because you will respond to that Slack message or let email just take you away. And so I, I think we just have to be honest and say there's a cost to it. Am I okay with it? And then how can I kind of set expectations? And I let people know, hey. I want to deliver great value. So I need some thinking space. And so yeah. then people are like, oh yeah, great. Have you ever thought about doing it like once a week or once every two weeks or just increasing the frequency of <laughs> I that? Just told, I literally had a conversation today with my team saying, okay, I know we're doing this once a month. Is there any way we could get to like every other week? <laughs> so well, I could- yeah, to, to be determined, Bill. So I'll let how that goes, but we'll see. Well, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to hear how that works out. I think that's really, I, and I agree. Like being intentional about creating that space for yourself is yeah. so critical because there are so many distractions in our lives. Family, work, like each one of them has a hundred different things that can kind of pull us away. So giving yourself the freedom, having the courage to be able to step away from all that as well is critically important just from a broader wellness perspective, but also being able to find that inspiration. Carrie, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show uh, and sharing some of your insights and knowledge with us today. Yeah, thank you so much, Bill. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about something I'm just inherently passionate about. So thank you. I know. I can, we could talk, like I said, I can, we can keep you here for, for hours and really dig in. But uh Maybe for another time. Maybe have you on the, on the show another time. And thanks, everybody, for joining in this week. We're out. Talk to you soon, thanks everyone. Thanks for listening to Be Customer-Led with Bill Stakos. We are grateful to our audience for the gift of their time. Be sure to visit us at BeCustomerLed.com for more episodes. Leave us feedback on how we're doing or tell us what you want to hear more about. Until next time, we're out. We're out.